0: The nation is divided about you, I'm afraid to say. Yes, two, are, people, two to
1: four,
2: is it, yeah.
0: People either seem to love <laughs> you or hate you. Um, how do you cope with, being, with, with, with this sort of heavy criticism you've had?
2: Well, gosh, heavy criticism, I didn't realise, because I didn't know about this heavy well, criticism. But if there is, um, I'm not too surprised, because um, I knew I was a Doctor Who fan. I watched, you know, the early Doctor Whos, and when one left and the other joined, I used to get a bit upset and think, you know, I wish, why did the old one leave? And it takes a little time and therefore mm. I have expected people not to be, um, you know, too pleased with they've lost their favourite doctor.
0: You realise you're actually now a very famous person because you were made um, Wally of the Week in the Daily Express by Nina Miskoff who said that the new Doctor Who, Sylvester McCoy, is the seventh and I suspect the last. Yes, down the decades the Doctor has been portrayed as many things but never before as thick. Small, pathetic, and somewhat wrinkly, he looks more like a smelly old dosser discovered under a railway bridge in Glasgow. (laughs) A little segue. I have with me a very special guest. I'm joined by. Yes, it's me.
2: Who is it? It's Buddy Windrush. It's Buddy
1: Windrush
2: <laughs> in the house. The executive producer of Doctor Who and The Complete Menagerie. I thought you sacked me. I thought I was history.
0: Uh, no, no, no. You, know, you you just stepped out for a while and had to have a lie down after the cancellation. Oh, right. So we, okay. uh, we liaise with Gary. Come on, let's make magic. I had a long weekend in Amsterdam. <laughs> <about you. laughs> That's right, Buddy Windrush is back from Brighton.
2: <laughs> he's,
0: <laughs> he's joined us to put his two penneth into our special uh, to talk about McCoy because he couldn't join us, unfortunately, for the, the episodes we recorded. So, Charlie, you've got some very strong opinions about McCoy, uh-huh, uh, which yes. you mentioned to us when you phoned up, just touched on the first season. Would you just like to give us a background of how you first saw Sylvester and then what the journey was like through Doctor
2: Who at that point for you? Absolutely. Yes. No, I, I can do that. Um, I think that uh, context is very important when looking at uh, the McCoy era, um, and uh, I came to it as a 15-year-old stripling in 87 when Time of the Rally came on, um, but I was obviously steeped in what had come before, having watched it since I was two and a half, um, and um, you know that I'm a big supporter of Colin Baker and <clears throat> Colin Baker, years. I am Lord President of Gallifrey. Mm. Well, I know, I know, you're not, yeah, but um, but what came after Colin Baker was was very different. Um, but I think, in terms of the context, if if I can ask you a question in, in response, as to what is it about Doctor Who, the original era or, or the classic series that that hooks you, that gets your interest and, and demands your love? Is it whimsy? Is it comedy? Is it the sci-fi element, or is it the drama and the um, kind of the the horror and the the jeopardy. I think that's a good word to use. So you didn't mention the production value. Come on, let's make magic. Well, that's coming. <laughs> 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 the, the, there's time for that. <laughs> uh, but but I, I, yeah. I, for me, for, for my my own personal sort of response to to the show was um, uh, when it's at its strongest is when it's at its most dramatic, and that means having a certain degree of uh, drama and jeopardy to it. And I look back, and when I. Those moments that to me sparkle with quality are the moments of Jeopardy and drama, like Mind Robber One, to the Doctor begging uh, Jamie Zer to come back and the TARDIS. So the acting is, is, is fantastic, it's completely convincing. You buy straight into that sort of stuff. Inferno 4, which to me is the best um, episode of I mean, from the entire series, mm. the, the bit where the Doctor. Um, the that goes around and listen to the sound of the public screaming at its rage and then Stalman steps in with his Luger at a very interesting camera angle. Mm-hmm. And we get the three two one. Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant and it's it's all down to, to the the risks and the kind of the <clears throat> the jeopardy and the drama of the whole thing, the whole sort of setup. And then you move on to Tom Baker, which again is completely convincing when he's playing it straight. And when Tom plays it straight, you know, he's he's fantastic. I mean I'm thinking about stuff like Horror Fan Rock, where we know he was pissed off having to be in Pebble Mill and having to be directed by Paddy Russell again, But
0: harridan. I mean, you sounded as if you were a fucking infant teacher. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> so it he, he was underplayed very nicely, because he was in a mood, but it is it, a better performance for it, mm-hmm. that he's, he's underplaying it beautifully. And in the same way, he tells those in the, in the lighthouse that they're under, under attack and they may well be dead by dawn, and gives it with a little smile at the end, a little whimsical sort of grin it's just fantastic because it turns out that he's right. You know, mm. They do all die before before dawn. Um, and then he walks back to TARDIS, you know, reciting poetry, you know, as if it's not really that much of a big deal. But the kind of the the performance sells it to me. Um, and that kind of it's kind of where I was coming from when season twenty two came around, which I'm a big supporter of. Because there's a lot of that there. I mean it was done badly mm. I accept that but it was done with the right um, for the right reasons I think JNT and, and Eric um, saw what had come before and decided that, that was the way to go um, and Rezani in particular obviously had been a big success and JNT said to Eric more please mm. and that's why we got this cavalcade of you know of 18 certificate you know adventures you know we got the sidemen being Shot through the mouth, we've got, you know, body horror coming out of your ears. I mean, mm-hmm. body horror, of course, is the, is a the big Hinchcliffe Holmes sort of uh, uh, sub-genre and that came back with a vengeance. Um, but it wasn't done quite as well as it could have been. It was done too, ex- too extreme, and that's why um GNT got ticked off by Powell and Graydon. We've got the hiatus. It it's it,
0: just down to the violence?
2: I mean there's violent moments all the way through Doctor Who but not to that level I mean if you go about something like The Seeds of Doom I mean that that to me is is the template and kind of you know, what they were harking back to that's where The Rock came in but it's so it's so um, unusual it's so atypical of Doctor Who where we've got the Doctor jumping through Skylights and knocking out Chance's mm. teeth in the sandpit and we've got you know um uh, all kinds of uh, getting beaten up by the bins in the basement. You know, it's work. a
0: bit like that episode of The Sweeney where that guy gets beaten up. You know the one.
2: Get your
1: trousers on. You're nicked.
0: It's not all of them. It's <laughs> not all of them? Yeah. That you know that one with him in it. Oh, that one, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Oh Hal Robbins, yes. But um, yeah, that is that's um, D- uh, Dougie, isn't it? Dougie Canfield Dougie Campbell, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. But it's but it's brilliant. It's fantastic. I mean, there's the bit with Keeler lashed to the bed in the half light, pleading for his life. Mm. You know, it's, it's brilliant. But it's not tea time telly. You know, it's far too extreme mm. for the kids. I, mean, I don't quite know why or how that escaped um, Mary Whitehouse's um, uh, Turn lashing. You know, it was obviously, a, I would think, in her mind's eye for a whole week. <clears throat> but it didn't seem to get much of a reaction from her. Well,
0: like... she was more offended by someone saying the word penis. Does that happen not to her? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, Maybe actually did in rehearsals with Tom. That'll be number one in a fucking Singapore hit parade. And if you don't believe that, you can fuck off and get your cards. You could substitute words "rondium sensor" for "cock," even for "monkey shaggers." I don't
2: know. But well, I can't see him when white went to seeing the sort of the VT Christmas tape and saying this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't be allowed. They shouldn't broadcast this filth. they don't. It
0: wasn't book. The thing is, with with something like uh, you know, gothic body horror like that, I think it's actually quite a subtle kind of horror having a guy that looks like a giant plant dying on a bed I don't think she'd be offended about because it's not mm. offending her principles as a Catholic as I seem to recall she was more offended by sex I like and mm. outright violence so quite intelligent horror writing I think actually went over her head you think so Doctor Who drowning yes well that's always the, the big isn't it that's the big one which offended because it's so on the nose yeah but she had no issue with a screaming clown running mm. around which is actually infinitely more terrifying than the drowning scene Yeah, I think
2: yeah I accept that but you, you still have stuff like Tom Baker making uh, petrol bombs You know, this is Harper's Five after the yeah uh, after the um, the Grandstand football results and it went unnoticed which I find incredible mm. so how does that link in
0: with your issue that was Doctor Who that was to come
2: well because I think it went Season twenty two was a, a result of of seeing that and seeing how successful or how <clears throat> um, um, the response was so good for stuff like that mm. that they went down that particular route. Season twenty two is full of body horror, you know, it's yeah. like, every story is body horror, um, and it went it went too extreme. I mean, am not that isn't the the only thing which I think mm. is is too extreme. The stuff I'm thinking about shock eye in particular. I'm a big fan of shock eye. Wonderful, but it's again not tea time. I'm telling you, biting the heads off rounds Um my dad, bless his heart, is 71 now, still talks about Chasen licking the blood off the paving stones at tea time. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. with 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 uh, Daily Mail readers you know, um, sort of ire that um, still <laughs> gets his hackles up even now, yeah. 13 years later. Um, but but me uh, being at the time sort of 14, 15, brilliant. I loved it. I loved it.
0: You were ready for it though because kids of that age are watching violent stuff which is not intended for them anyway. Yeah. Kids now yeah. are watching Game of Thrones when they're 14, 15 and the producers yes. you know this. Yes. It's not like it's only over 18s that are watching
2: it. I accept that but uh, in terms of the McCoy era which sort of it's, it feeds into the seasons that came afterwards is that having had all that and responded so well to that you know, stuff like Revelation of Daleks it's, it's so dark it really is nihilistic, you know, in its tone. Um, mm. But it's brilliant, but it's, it's, it isn't light entertainment, which is what we came afterwards with stuff like Ken Dodd as an example of that. Um, but we had, having had that, we then got Trial of the Time, which I quite liked, um, and then we got Sylvester McCoy. And it, was, it came back with half the budget, half the episodes, mm. uh, a leading man who wasn't really an actor at all, um, and its balls have been cut off. You know, it lost its edge for me. It yeah. lost its its guts. Yeah. Um, and that's the reason why I responded badly to it. That's the one reason why I'm not going to down it because not only was it badly made and badly acted, and to a lesser degree badly written, it was just a shadow of its former self. It was far less of a show than it had been, mm. and that to me was a disappointment. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it was all bad. There are bits which which sure will go to in a minute, but there are bits which I think are worthy of praise, definitely. But as a whole, as an enterprise, I think it was um, on on the way out anyway. Um, it, was, it was time to rest it. So I, I don't think that, that was a bad move mm. um, because it was it was going nowhere anyway. People say it was getting better by season 26 and it was finding its feet again but I, I don't
0: agree all we've got in the uh, the first season isn't it it's, uh, really it's Sylvester McCoy mm-hmm. and the whole team trying to find their feet again Yeah. after what is potentially another cancellation they must have been absolutely stunned to find that the, Colin Baker was going to get sacked but here's another chance mm. for you again to reboot the show and fix it and I think it's the I think there's a documentary called The Last Chance Saloon. Actually. It's based, it was a last chance saloon for Sylvester McCoy, sorry, for John Nathan-Turner to make real efforts to change the show, which it didn't feel like the show had changed in between the hiatus and Trial of a Time law. Mm. The same mistakes came back, the same costume came back. He had an opportunity to build a new costume around Colin Baker and you well, like didn't. He I don't did.
2: think that's that's entirely true. I mean, I think that there is definitely a, a change between um, then the revelation and the beginning of Mysterious Planet. Um, you haven't got a new or a better costume, I, I accept that. It's the same um, core cast, but it's all on videotape. You, yeah. you lose sort of the quality of the film that we had in season 22. Um, and the budget is quite clearly... You know, less, far less than it had been. Mm. You can tell from just the way it looked that it was done on the cheap. Mm. Um, So I I don't know. uh, I I think it was um, uh, JNT's reaction to the hiatus was to bring it back and bring it back lighter than it had been.
0: It's definitely softer. Yes. And I think if they try and make Doctor Who fun again, I think that's the one thing that's missing from Colin's first season. It's serious, and it's interesting, and there's bigger ideas. And actually, I think Tom touched on this. You look at it on paper, it's actually quite a good season of stories. Mm. You've got a nice varied uh, selection of monsters and new ideas and old ones. Even Time Lash looks quite good on paper. Mm. It's just the realisation is shocking. Um, yeah. Trial of a Time Lord, as you said, they cut the balls off really at that point. It started to soften it. It yeah. doesn't really work for Colin's doctor because Colin's doctor's full of bluster. He's blustering about nothing. He's blustering about weather, I think, in, in the first couple of stories. But but don't you think that, that the that, doctor jars in a friendly environment when he's
2: like that? He's not dark enough. Well, that's true. But don't you think that that, that was um, the intention anyway? That, that the the whole point of Colin Baker's reign was that he would get softer and better and nicer mm-hmm. and more accessible as time went on. But so by the time of sort of year seven. Well, that was his plan to outlive Tom Baker, he'd be a delightful, wonderful doctorate character. But to start with, he was being unpleasant. So that move from being um, far more abrasive and far more hands-on to being less of that, I think it was the, the, the plan anyway.
0: But It's a long game to play, and a lot for your audience to invest in before they get a doctor that's watchable, especially for little kids. Who would have been watching? Sure. you know there's no safe hands there he comes across as a nasty piece of work and i think one of the reasons why i like sylvester so much is suddenly it's just a, a breath of fresh air and relief that this guy is not going to beat you up or strangle you and you get the idea he is a nice guy mm. he, i think there's this thing about sylvester which <clears throat> makes him a good doctor he is just seems to be so lovely mm. and he's got that pat trout feeling to him in some of his performances. Now, I think Patran is the better actor, mm. there's no doubt. Yeah. But Sylvester is mirroring some of his mannerisms, I think, and that's why I like him. I think he's got some great moments in his performances. I don't think Conan has any good moments, really. I think he has some good stories, but he always seems to be just slightly off.
1: Mm. He's
0: always giving a performance. He always You can always tell he's acting whereas with sylvester he has some terrible moments where it's just like <laughs> what made you want to do that and set the line that way but then he'll say and ghost lights for this actually mm. he will underplay it and just do it completely straight and it's enough to yeah. believe that he's he is the doctor yeah. and a good one
2: i i accept that all what you say though don't get me wrong you know i uh, i accept i'm here to bury uh, seven rather than praise him but but there are moments where, where he does play it very nicely um, and Colin Baker as you say quite rightly is performing throughout he's overdoing it to a greater degree mm-hmm. trying to be like Tom Baker but not having the chops to to pull it off yeah. Yeah, that much I, I, I accept but Colin Baker is still an actor he's still a trained actor I don't think that, that Sylvester is or was um, but no I think you're right Yeah, I, I can't I'll give you that
0: point I have to say <laughs> so story wise we've yep. got the uh, the target novelizations here buddy mm. um, and it's quite frightening when you put the last two seasons on the table as novels and you think that's barely one season of a Pertwee era yeah in terms of episodes absolutely yeah. it's um it's it's very short um, and we're starting off with Remembrance of the Daleks yeah. oh but it's all arranged Melian and I have important. Put- to discuss yes doctor. prepare the time lash. Uh, what a way what a way to kick off
2: Good a new start. season what, what did it feel like when you was watching that at the time fantastic I remember it very very well because my, my parents had moved the TV around in our front room so it was in a, co- a different corner Yeah. so when I think about it I always think about watching the first episode with the TV in the wrong place so I, I won't forget it for that reason. But the, the pre-title sequence of the spaceship coming in and, and the, the sound of the radio uh, transmissions coming through was great. You know, that really grabbed the attention. Um, in the same way, I think that, that the, the, the Rani um, sequence at the start of, of um, Tal Rani was also quite punchy and quite attention-grabbing, and, and I, I was quite impressed by that. It was a good start. Mm. It went downhill very quickly <laughs> with uh, uh, *Time and the Rani*, but yeah. with *Remembrance*, it kind of—it was a good way to start. It kind
1: of—it
2: it, it, it maintained that impetus throughout the four episodes. So for me, uh, *Remembrance* is one of, one of his better stories. Mm. That and *Fenric* and uh, perhaps Ghost Light on a good day. And <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a good yeah, day. if I'm feeling charitable, <laughs> uh, 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 are his highlights. So you no, know, it was yes, it was great, and I think it's great for for a number of reasons, not least because it was kind of going back to traditional uh, Doctor Who and and, and doing um, an Earth bound or an Earth set story quite well. Mm. The sort of the, uh, the period stuff was was very nice. Um, when compared to stuff like Happy Patrol, which which I detest, um, which I've done very very badly mm. and very very stagy and obviously done in the studio, um, with Remembrance it kind of took me out of that and all some nice stuff as well. Um, so no, I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a big supporter of Remembrance.
0: So Remembrance, how many Tardises out of five for you, buddy? Oh,
2: I'll give it four. Wow. Okay. Is that is that probably the, the
0: top scoring McCoy? For you?
2: Uh, no, I think Fenric gets a five.
0: Really? Yeah, okay, I think okay. so. So yeah. we've, we've got a five already that's in the mix. Yeah. So you there you is Kevin, a five there somewhere. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So Happiness Patrol, you said you wasn't so keen on because you felt it was very stagey.
2: Now I know you're a big fan of Happiness Patrol. Mm. The menagerie, are, um, the concept, yeah. yeah. But but it's it's isn't it clunky? Isn't it shoehorned into you know? It's, the very, format? it's very avant-garde.
0: And it's interesting to read that the original intention was for it to go out in black and white. I think that may have actually been to its benefit. Oh, I agree. Um, Shooting as a a film noir would have been quite cool and interesting. It looks horrendous. What's the worst that could have happened? They cancelled the series, you know, so they should have actually taken that risk and done it. Or at least to to desaturate the colours slightly. So, yeah, I think with it being videotaped studio, you see everything in shocking detail, how cheap it is in the sets. I think John Nathan-Turner touched on the point that it was supposed to look like that. And mm. unfortunately, it looked like they ran out of money when they hadn't. Um, it yeah. was supposed to be a, 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 a facade that these people were living in. So I don't really have any problem with it looking like scenery.
2: Sure, um,
0: sure, I think the Candy Man is misconceived as being a literal man made of candy.
2: Yeah.
0: It should have just been in, like he is in the book, which I highly recommend you check out if you've not. Yeah. Um, which is just a guy been. in... Um, a white lab coat, yeah, who cuts people up, well, which is I, much creepier.
2: I think it's the best thing in it, to be honest. The Candyman. Yes, I think it gets a bad press. Right. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not a bad costume, you know. It's it's obviously Bertie Bassett, um, gone, you know, breaking Bad But it's. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's um, in amongst the rest of it, which is so terribly stagey. That's why I don't like it, right. because it's it could be on a stage, and it's Chris Clough just doing his points and press direction. You know? <laughs> There's no kind of thought, or, or there's no artistry there mm. in the direction. It really is a hack job.
0: And what what did you think of McCoy's performance at that point, following Remembrance going into Happiness Patrol?
2: It was better in Remembrance. but right, um, it dipped slightly at that point. I did. I just I found his, his sort of faux bluesman posturing just cringeworthy. You know? yeah. Really, really embarrassing to watch.
0: There's a lot of that in new Doctor Who now. Though. A lot of that. Cool posturing. I mean, I don't watch it, but I saw a clip of uh, Peter Kapertwe <laughs> with sunglasses and an electric guitar, and I thought, oh, just get off you, old man.
2: Dude, what is that? You said you wanted an axe fight.
0: <laughs> it was like watching Brian May. Uh,
2: <laughs> is that a bad thing?
0: <laughs> no, no, was, we were talking about Brian May before we started recording, yeah, weren't we, Charlie? It and, did we and, we? Uh, Yeah,
2: we. Brian needs to stop now. And... <laughs> well, yes, yeah, anyway. that's a whole different <laughs> whole podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I'll come back to that some other time. But, but uh, it didn't, it didn't convince me at all. Right, um, and there's also the, the cast. I think is, is wasted. People like Harold Innocent and and the great Ronald Fraser. Ronald, did you like that Jimmy <laughs> Fraser? Just looking <laughs> bewildered throughout the whole thing. I mean, he yeah. wasn't even that old at the time. You know yeah. he just. He, you just look like a bewildered old man, wondering why, you know, having done Long and Short and the Tall and Wild Geese and classic films like that, why am I reduced to this? <laughs> Studio 3, of, you know, <laughs> it's painted pink, you know, what is going on? <laughs> um, so they're wasted, um, the Margaret Thatcher thing is done to death. Mm. The fact that it came out as a bit of a surprise or, or a revelation sort of 25 years later, it was... Clear as day
0: to me. I knew that when I was watching it as a kid, that it was based on, on, on Thatcher. Yeah. It was pretty straightforward to me. It was a, a, a starchy, hard faced woman telling you to pull yourself together and be happy. Exactly. And be grateful for what you have. It's, it's so on the nose. Yeah. And it was, I think kids understood that at the time. Only Newsnight in 2015 would re- make that a revelation.
2: Precisely. It was as plain as day. Yeah. Um, and it, I thought it was clunky. And, and, and obvious. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like it at all. How many Tardises out of five? I'll give it none. None. Well perhaps give it one, yeah. for the for the candy man. Just one pink and because, one pink TARDIS. Because one. Because, because because one one and yeah. Harold and Innocent are in it. Yeah. I'll give it one <laughs> one TARDIS.
0: <laughs> That's no Doctor Who fan can give a Doctor Who story no Tardises out of five. Even Twin Dilemma gets half a TARDIS, surely. Yes yeah, all right. Just by having the TARDIS in it. I suspect this is not going to go down so well, but we're moving into the 25th anniversary special. Let's make magic, as uh, Gary Downey said. <laughs> Come on, let's make
2: magic. Tempting
0: fate there.
2: Utter bollocks. <laughs> let's make utter bollocks. Yeah, shouldn't that be more like it? Not a fan. No, I mean, it's, it's the Chris Clough sort of, sort of 2 handy, you know, mm-hmm. the one-two punch from Chris we get uh, Happiest Patrol and *Silent an Innocence you know, in quick succession and they're mm. both fucking dreadful yeah and it's not a particularly good script either No, I watched it recently I think I mentioned it last time we spoke on the phone I did watch it recently um, uh, the first time actually since it was broadcast and the one thing which I was impressed by or with uh, was Sylvester's performance which had uh, had become far more uh, naturalistic was far less self-conscious than it had been in the previous season. and I was amazed at how relaxed he seemed mm. in the part and relaxed with, with Sophie just, just generally kind of far more comfortable playing the role um, other than that it's just a utter dog's dinner
0: mm. in every respect it feels very rushed yeah, in terms of the production as well doesn't it Um it's I think it suffers one major problem it's the same story as Remembrance of the Daleks but not written with the same class, finesse, and intelligence. Mm, agree. And it's selling itself as a 25th anniversary story. It really should have been "Remembrance of the Daleks." That was the yeah. celebratory one, shouldn't it? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. So it's just in the shadow. It's not got any chance. Maybe in a, I dare say, if that story was in
2: the Child of a Time Lord season, would it fare better? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it was just—it's just so badly handled, cack-handedly handled, and stuff like Dolores Gray. I mean, what is she doing in it? Who, what is the, who the fuck is Dolores Gray? Is it just me who didn't know who she was? No, I didn't know who she was at the right. time. Just John
0: Nathan-Turner uh, and Gary. Come on, let's make magic.
2: Exactly, yeah. precisely. But mm. That was the whole point. It was, it was a, a little treat to themselves. But, you know, sob them. <laughs> sod the pros. Sod the pros, darling. Um, it, you know, it was just, you know, we'll have her because we love her, but you know the rest of the world can, can go to bollocks. And just having her there at all was... Bewildering and just, just, just wrong. I'm you know. Sure,
0: at great expense as well. Exactly. She so wouldn't have come cheap, would she?
2: And Nicholas Courtney, you know, with his back to the camera. What's the point? Why is the point? No, he was in it until fairly recently. Here's a guy with in the in the the thorn wind cheater walking away from the camera, you know, <laughs> with with the, the tour um, program in his hand. What is the point? He was paid for that as well. You know, there's a few old out of work. Fucked up actors that were from Doctor Who walking around
0: in it as well. Yeah, so
2: Barry Letts as well. I think is, is, is the there group. somewhere, it's but you wouldn't know it. Pointless. You wouldn't know it exactly.
0: It's not exactly the Five Doctors, is it? It's not the the, the heyday of Precis- celebrating Doctor Who. Five years down the line, it's come to this.
2: Well, I, I, I agree entirely. You know, compared to the Five Doctors, it's a whole different show. Mm. Um, and if you're going to pull out some old faces, do it in a Brenner Morris style, yeah. you know, styley and have them actually seen on the screen, so people who know who they are can mm. say, oh, look, it's yes. Not just, you know, with our backs to the camera. No, it's, just, it's just totally pointless.
0: Mm. It's not the greatest moment in the core era, and you say you feel his performance takes another downturn, but not quite as badly as you would no. it being at the time. But at the time, it must have felt bad. No, don't get me wrong.
2: No, no, I, I, I think that he was getting... That was a better performance. Okay. You know, I think he was, he was far less self-conscious, you know, there was far less of the rolling of the R's and just just being a dick, you know?
0: <laughs> I feel that, as McCoy gets on as well, he, he's less indecipherable. Yes. Uh, I think, just to very quickly go back to remembrance, there are some moments where you can barely tell what he's saying. Yes. You know, he says nothing so mundane. And it took me a good number of years watching on VHS to try and figure out what he was saying until mm. the internet
2: came along. And oh. I managed to find the script. Yes, well, um, uh, at the time, obviously, I was <clears throat> watching it with, um, with my, my good friend, Paul Shields, named Ron. and we, Paul Shields Paul makes Shields.
0: the galleries for the DVDs on Doctor Who. Footnote, hello, Paul.
2: Um, and it was all, you know, we spent, we spent long afternoons trying to work out what the hell he was saying, particularly yeah. in the first six I noticed also watching Ghostlight recently, well last night actually, that he's enunciating to the nth degree as if Alan Waring had said to him, look Sylvester, we can't understand what you're saying, (laughs) say it again but this time go very slowly and get your mouth round every single word Mm. and that's the direction he's being given, is that we can't understand what you're saying.
0: Well that's a sign of an untrained actor that would have had that voice training, that vocal coaching. Yes. Uh, to acting school. Yes, and so. that,
2: that's why a relative's ours. He's, he's just giving mm-hmm. himself time to get the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I, for those who know their, their stagecraft, is, is a bit embarrassing. And it's not necessary either. It's just distracting. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, how many Tardises out of five for Silver Nemesis? Well, because I can give a half, I'll give that one a half. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Again, just a half
0: measure for Silver Nemesis. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and again, sorry, just going back to the just pushing people in because for the sake of it. Courtney Pine. What is that about? Oh, Courtney Pine. Well, he was a Doctor Who fan, wasn't he? Was he? I yeah. didn't know that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I believe he had some of Doctor Who's tapes. <laughs> Shit joke. <laughs> so, if Doctor Who couldn't be any more self-reflective, we're moving on to the greatest show in the galaxy.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's... Is that JNT biting the hand that feeds him by yeah. having having a particularly unpleasant, you know, you know, unsavoury dig at the fans, you know, with, with Wizkid. It really is quite personal, I think, mm. you know, that you're all, you know, bunch of wankers. Mm. Um, that is your target audience, a bunch of wankers. You know, and quite honestly, we we hate you all, you know, <laughs> oh, P.S., we hate you all. You know, what is the point in being, I know he didn't want to be in the show, he wanted to be off the wasn't allowed to, to walk away from it uh, but don't get personal don't blame us mm. as, as the as the fans we had the arrogance i think at the time
0: to think that he could have gone on to another job especially after being offered something like Bergerac in the early 80s mm. but that was a long time ago by the time 1987 88 rocked round, his reputation at the bbc was mud mm. and i don't think he realized how bad it was yeah now we know by reading the books particularly the JNT biography, which is just a stunning piece of work. Yeah. I don't know if you read I that, have, Charlie. yes, I have, yes. Fantastic. Uh, it, isn't it? It's just you can't put it down. It's just like they didn't know what to do with him. They wanted him to fuck off or die, <laughs> preferably. <laughs> Not my words. And he did. So to actually produce a show called The Greatest Show in the Galaxy and then have Wizkid in it, who is clearly a pop at Doctor Who fandom, is I do I do think it's below the belt. But I do think it's quite a good story. Mm. I think it... It has some really classic Doctor Who hallmarks for me one being classic creepy monsters which is now something that is Dera with mm. Moffat mm. making the uncanny frightening yeah uh, Clowns are really creepy and I mm. think there's some great iconic moments in Great Show in the Galaxy as a kid growing up at that time you cannot forget the chief clown yeah in his hearse that's yeah. a really quite quite avant-garde piece of imagery for a t- children's TV show at the time, don't you think?
2: Yes no absolutely no I, I agree. I mean the season as a whole I think it's a Chris Clough shit sandwich that we've got these two mm. pieces of bread uh, bookending, you know two pieces of dross uh, because it's not a bad story you know um, it's, it's it's too long it should have been three episodes I think yes um, but it's no it's not bad And at the time I quite enjoyed it and I think that the Mags episode ending with the werewolf is quite toothsome it's mm. quite harks back to to the horror we are talking about a bit earlier um so, um, as a whole, as a piece of work, it's not bad. Um, who did the music for that one? Uh, Mark Ayres. Was it Mark yeah, I think it may have been his yeah. first outing, actually. Yeah. That's good. The music's very good. You like the score? Yeah, you know I'm not a big fan of Kev.
0: Well, um, Kev scored uh, two, and it was Dominic Glynn that did The Happiness Patrol, yeah, am I right yeah, there? Yeah. Um, I think Dominic Glynn always right. scores very highly. Dominic Glynn's a genius, Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean the score for Happiness Patrol actually is worth listening to in Isolation again I think
2: that's right again that goes towards the, the one Tardis <laughs> gave it yeah. Um, yeah. but, but I, 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 I'm a massive fan of Dominic Glenn particularly Trial the Time World stuff was was great mm, yeah. um, and the, sort of the, the use of melody within the soundtrack is is, is second to none mm. um, that's why I don't like Kef because there's, there's not much going on in terms of melody it's all sort of synth stabs and you know just sort of punctuation mm-hmm. rather than, than music mm-hmm. um, but with, with with that I think it was it was good um, it's funny how I, when I think of Greta's show and the soundtrack that Mark had for that it reminds me a bit of, of Dunkirk you know have you heard the, the Dunkirk mm-hmm. soundtrack yeah that sort of ticking clock tick, yes, tick, tick, yeah. tick 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 it doesn't quite it's not quite the same uh, in terms of impact and sort of building up tension but it's a kind of same kind of um, sort of background Kind of structure to it, you know. It's
0: interesting you say that because a lot of the scores that Marquez produced, he's been criticised for the same thing that's been criticised for Dunkirk, which is too much music. Is
2: that right? I and mean, uh, I think Dunkirk pretty much has a score that goes all the way through. Well, I, think, I don't I, think it stops, barely does well, it? Well, that's right, but I think Marquez would no. be the first to, to say that, that yeah, the, his music was sometimes played too loudly over mm. the, the dialogue. he couldn't sometimes hear what was being said because of the music. Mm. Um, so that's not necessarily his fault.
0: No. But there's a lot of music yes. in The Great Show, The Galaxy. There's yeah. there's there's very few moments where there's actually any silence. Yes. There's a lot of music going on. But it's very different, like you say, to Kef, that would be stings mm. and big orchestral hits every yeah. time someone walked down some steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine the musical staircase in The yeah. Doctor yeah. with, with the master. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whereas with Marquez and with, yeah, the Dominic Glynn, uh, there really is melody, as you mm. say. A, there is a real underscore, and there is emotion in that.
2: I think early
0: Kef had some of those elements. Mm. Um, there's some very good stuff in Paradise Towers, which is worth checking out in isolation. Yes, no, I think
2: you're right. I, and I, he was I'll a perfect
0: one. He was a perfect one for Delta and the Bannermen. Yeah. No one else could have given a score oh. like, like Kevin now, McCulloch.
2: Now, Delta is I think, is, is the best sort um, all the high points of that season, and that's not saying very much. Um, but the music,
0: yeah. It's great fun, though, when you're drunk watching that. Yes. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, it's, if you're in the right mood, it's all right. Yeah. And the thing is, J*** was drunk yeah. most
0: of the time at this point, so he was loving every bit of Doctor Who's putting <laughs> together. 1990 must have been a sobering year when he was looking at the VHS tapes back. <laughs> Oh God! What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> three. I told you it was great to have the Cybermen walking in. You know, we made magic. But uh, yeah. So how many is out of five for uh, greatest show?
2: If if I'm giving something like Inferno five, I'd have to give it a three. At the very, the very. I'm most. surprised you scored that highly. Yeah, it's going to be. I probably would give it a three. Yeah. It's, you like the photography in it. Some
0: good direction.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know you, you quite like talking about the fact that it was done in a car park. Because of yeah. the asbestos yeah. scare, and it was you know, right. it was make do and mend. It was done in a tent. TV right? making, yeah, yeah. done in a, in, a, in a car park. And that, yeah. that you wouldn't know that, yeah. which tells me that it was, you know, that, that a success for that reason. Um, there are some low points that we've discussed with this Kid. That that to me is was a massive mistake. Yeah. Uh, it's Peggy Mount. What the fuck <laughs> is she doing in it? Weirdos! <laughs> what is what is the point? Her, her character. There's, um, who's the guy who plays the, uh, is it Nord? Uh, Daniel, not Daniel Peacock, yeah. Oh, the guy from um, Lovejoy? No, 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 that's that's uh, Chris Jury. All right. The guy who plays the, the Hell's Angel blank. Oh, him, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he, he's, he's been Daniel in. Peacock. Yeah, what, what was he in? He was in Everything something. Everything in, in, in the 80s, doing the same shtick every time. Was he in Quadrophino or something like no, that? He could have been, yeah. could have been. Um, he was just overdoing it too much an obvious caricature yeah um, but there's T.P. McKenna there's there's, yeah. there's Tricky Dicky um, who is uh, fantastic as a chief clown mm-hmm. jaw-dropping the good yeah he added the on LinkedIn is that right <laughs> wow <laughs> nice guy is that a good thing or is it a, a creepy thing yeah. I don't know it's not a sex app.
1: alright
0: he's one of the highlights of the oh he is McCoy era absolutely yeah, yeah. He's so stand out almost iconic yeah he's, he's he's there and he's not on the cover of the bloody book yeah which is just mind-blowing
2: that's it's... a good question why, why isn't he there
0: well this is the thing we've got the um just to guide us on our journey here we have the the original title novelizations and these are the original ones that came out at the time and it's it's like you know back in the uh in the dearth of the 80s the early 80s when doctor who wasn't on the cover of the books because colin baker wanted to be paid a lot for per inch of his face and he has a big <laughs> face uh, so there yeah. was no there was no colin baker i don't think on any of the covers no, but there was photographs of Devo, wasn't there? Mm, is that yeah. correct
2: yes that, that is correct
0: but by the time we get to the uh, mccoy era he's on the cover of every single book
2: That's right, even yeah.
0: at the expense of the guest artists so you don't have the chief clown but yeah. you have mccoy just staring inanely in and the the uh, the gods of ragnarok there
2: indeed we were also pretty good in terms of, of the costumes, you know, they, 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 look, they look the part. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole bit with, in the amphitheatre looks pretty good. Yeah,
0: and the little model effects at the end I think are pretty good, and the explosions are quite famous as well. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, you, do. so you're giving that a three, Tardis out of five, I so give that three. If, so, for that season, generally, what does it pan out in terms of Tardis out of five for you, Charlie? Uh,
2: well, it's better than season 24, mm-hmm. uh, hands down. Um, so, it was an improvement on the previous. Bilge that we've been served up the previous year. So, yeah, I'd I'd give it, because I I detest Happiness Patrol and Silver Nemesis, which are, you know, know, televisual turds, I'll give it two. Right. 24 is is a very low one. Right. Okay. And that's
0: the end of uh, 1988.
2: What a year that was.
0: What a year that was. What else was on TV at the time? Simon and the Witch. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That used to be on before Doctor Who.
2: Yeah, that's
0: right. Um, the two of us. The two of us. <laughs> the two of us. I remember that as well. Was, was yes. Troutman at that time, was it?
2: Oh, yeah, because the,
0: the dad changed into Tanya Levins. He regenerated, didn't That's he? That's right, yeah. 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 Well, of course, he was dead by
2: 88, so can't have been. Dead <laughs> <as well. laughs> mm. Oh, gosh, yeah. Pushing oh. up the daisies by the way. Oh. It's pretty sad.
0: So, we're going into the last season of Doctor Who ever, mm. as far as we're concerned. Yeah. And we're opening up with Doctor Who Battlefield. The script was written by Aronovich. Ben Aronovich. So yeah. trying to capture lightning in a bottle again, maybe the remembrance. I think so. Back. I think but so. was it anywhere near as
2: successful? No, not even close. Not even close. It's it terrible. Um, it's by far the weakest of the four uh, stories. The other three being pretty good, actually. Um, so it starts off with, Again, what JNT would have thought at the time would have been the strongest of the four, mm. in the same way that he thought Twin Dilemma was going to be you know, wonderful and he was loving. And he was just wrong on every level. Um, the same thing happened here, I think. He, just, he played the wrong card first. Um, but um, I think that the reason why it was played first was because Nick Courtney was back as the Brigadier. Mm. That was kind of the big coup. So that was
0: the hook. That, was that was, that the hook. was that was the promotional exactly kit that they had it's for the next the, season. Yeah. Nick Courtney's back. No offense to Nick Courtney, we love him. Huge face of the early seventies for a, a group of children, but for launching a new TV series, Nick Courtney isn't really your thing. No, it should even Kate Amara isn't enough to launch a season of programs. It needs to be something bigger. I agree. Who's your new Doctor? Who's your new recurring monster? That's a big iconic one that you've not seen. That's he is. The Daleks. Well, the, the Daleks. Previous season. Yeah. No offense to Nick, but he's just a, a vaguely remembered, well-loved companion from 15 years before. Yeah,
2: but don't you think that that was JNT's Achilles' heel—that like he was pandering to the fans too much? I thought he'd given up pandering to the fans by the McCoy era. Though, yeah? well, I suppose off, off the back of Greta's show, obviously he didn't give a fuck, didn't give no. a shit. No. Yeah. But but then why bring the Brigadier back at all? I think because he liked Nick. Yeah. And
0: I think Nick wanted to come back to be killed off, mm. which didn't happen. No. And was a mistake. They should have killed him off and given him a, a real juicy story to go out on. I think. But...
2: Well, I, again, I, I agree with that. I mean going back to what we we're talking about originally, the, the idea of, of jeopardy and drama and the stakes being very, being very high, death of a um, an important sort of. Keystone character, I think, is is a good way of doing it. That's why I'm a big, big fan of of Earthshot because he mm. of killed off foundry and done with a great amount of style. Yeah, Peter Greenway is a great director. Well, that that was a good piece of work. <clears throat> so doing it again here would have been great. You know, killing off the, the brigadier would have made Battlefield a better story. Um, but then we go back to this very old sort of the peccadillo of can you can you uh, um, saddle your childhood audience with, with bereavement that's why they won't do it in the new series You know,
0: I, I don't think it's a problem cutting off a character in, in a children's TV show or Doctor Who um, they did it in the 60s they did it in the 70s and you can do it in the 80s in fact they weren't regular characters but generally a character dies in every episode of Doctor Who well, that's, so it uh, wasn't a problem bringing, bringing Nick back who'd not been in it for how many years?
2: Six years? A while well, Mordred and debt, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it would have been six, seven years. I yeah. don't
2: think that's the problem. Well, I, I agree with that, and I think that going back to Trial of a Time Lord, and Mind Warp in particular, with, with Perry being mm. being bumped off at the end, I mean, that was a very, very effective moment, you know, really mm. effective. At the time, when I, mean, I was 14 at the time, it was a really punchy moment, and then to have that taken away at the end of the, the mm. story, episode mm. 13 or whatever it was, um, where we, we, we found out that actually that was all that was all bollocks. Um, you'd been watching a fiction. It was a shame because it was to have that and to hold that and to to, to maintain that Perry was killed would yeah. have been far more effective.
0: And that's the cowardice of John Nathan Turner really, and his misunderstanding of stories and audiences, thinking that they'll stop watching your show if you kill one of the characters off. Yeah. Because he was so into soaps, and uh, he was though, wasn't he? He was into Coronation Corey, Street, yeah. and Dallas, oh. and Dynasty. And um yep. and all of that crap crossroads and crossroads <laughs> <laughs> uh, which inspired his production methods <laughs> but it it's a real it's a real shame battlefield because on paper it looks like a really good idea and I think even Ben Aronovich was gutted mm. when it came to the production. Was it Nicholas Mallet that directed? Might well it have been um it it just looks incredibly cheap, and I'm not fond of the production design in it and all the things which I quite like about the McCoy era. Yeah. They're not in Battlefield for me. Yes. Apart from Jean Marsh, who I quite like, but Jean Marsh is quite good fair in anything that she plays, as, mm. as long well as she's playing a crusty old woman that hates people. <laughs> and she was in so many kids' TV shows of my time growing up well, she in just those done, kind of roles.
2: Well, that's right, she'd done Willow, hadn't she, just recently, around that time? She'd done playing Willow. A similar character. She'd also done, she'd done Willow, she'd done um, Return to
0: Oz, mm. which was a similar kind of role again. Yeah. Then she'd done this, and then shortly after Battlefield, about two or three years later, she was in the reboot of The Tomorrow People, mm. which I'm sure was shocking, but at the time I thought was cutting edge hot shit, and I've refused to watch it since. Was that Todd from Neighbours? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I think it was! It, or at least it looked like him. I think he was the stunt cast. I think it, I
2: think it was him. Yeah. I think it was and, it was him.
0: Um, and I thought it was amazing at the time, but I've not, I can't put myself through watching early 90s TV. In the same way, you probably can't put yourself through watching the the McCoyer, because mm. it's at that point where you're changing tastes quite clearly. You've stopped listening to Bananarama. Now you're listening to Queen, <laughs> to, to, to Bauhaus. <laughs> You know, you're listening to the Miracle album, you're thinking,
2: there's more more to life. Well, speaking of of disappointments, you know, um, I remember very clearly buying the Miracle album. Great, New Queen album's out, brilliant. Getting it and playing it and thinking, oh...
0: Did did Freddie Mercury jump (laughs) out of your wardrobe saying, I'm the
1: invisible man. (laughs) I'm the invisible man. Incredible how you can. See right
0: through me. Well, you were sat in your bed freaking out, thinking, who's this... Skinny guy running around my bedroom. That was that was me.
2: <laughs> that was me in, in my bedroom calling calling you tree. <laughs> Is that the authorities? <laughs> There's four men in my bedroom wa- wearing donkey jackets <laughs> and sporting sporting crap scabbles. Yeah. You were disappointed by the miracle club I was, yeah. Why? I think it's the weakest. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like I like a lot of elements. I, pre- I prefer club. Hot Space to to the Hot Space. I you're space. a fan of Hot Space, I love Hot Space. Hot space
0: let's go. It's Freddie staying true to his word and saying our music changes throughout the years and yeah. it does and Queen can, and you listen to the whole story of the albums in, in order, do what the hell they like on any album. Yeah. And in 1982, it's a bit like Doctor Who. This is the mirror I wanted to bring in. In the 70s, they were being experimental. People were going, oh, this is different. That's a historical story. It's a science fiction story. But It's the great tapestry of Doctor Who. Anything can happen. We're fans 10 years later, so we know what good Doctor Who is. So when something experimental happens in an era where you're slightly older and you feel you own the product, like mm. Queen or Doctor Who, yeah. early 80s, so Left of Field comes out, like Hot Space or um, Time Flight. <laughs> <laughs> people kick off and go, this is shit because it's not what they should be making. Now,
2: Time Flight was crap.
0: Well, they, people say it's shit because it's shit. Yeah. And it's shit. <laughs> um, and that's sometimes the truth. But with Hot Space, it was just a really well-thought-through dance album, which Queen fans didn't want. Yeah. In the same way JT was making Doctor Who for a current audience with a young Doctor who was completely different which Tom Baker fans and Perley mm. fans didn't want. Yeah. So it kind of comes back to having issues with things when you get older.
2: Were you the wrong age at this point for Doctor Who, Charlie? No. Not at all. Not at all. I'd become a card-carrying fan. Right. Um, I joined DWAS. Um, That's Doctor Who Appreciation, Appreciation Society. Society. Yes. Um, around the time of The Two Doctors, in fact it was that weekend I joined, so uh, having been a fan, having enjoyed the series very much and being a lover of the fan up to that point I then became part of the cohort that weekend, so I'd only recently become, you know, uh, know, someone who would go on a Doctor Who march or whatever, (laughs) around that time, so I, I was kind of still dyed in the wool and more dyed in the wool than I had been previously, so no. Doctor Who was becoming, was featuring more in my life than it hadn't been previously. Um, so, so no, the, the short answer to that is no, Doctor Who was becoming a bigger deal for me around that time.
0: Okay, so he was taking it more seriously maybe? Yes, possibly, possibly. Which in itself is sometimes a problem isn't it? Because when you're taking it more seriously you're more critical of the content. Mm. So you may have been more critical as well of the Pertwee era then, and Tom Baker equally but you felt there was more misses than hits at this point in the show. Well that's true
2: and, and also going back to, to context, and myself and, and Paul, hello Paul, if you're still there.
0: Um, we'd f- I don't know where you are, Paul, but I hope you are happy.
2: <laughs> we I were-
0: heard he's a drunk now.
2: <laughs> Lives in the basement, I'll flashing show- clap. I'll show you where he's buried if you <laughs> um, we don't had, We had fallen, uh, luckily, to a friend at school, on the mother load of VHS recordings of, of the previous sort of um, Well, everything pretty much that existed up to that point. Having been, those of you who, who weren't there won't know that in the, the 80s, Doctor Who, commercially available Doctor Who was thin on the ground and, and there wasn't much in the way of VHS around that time. It just begun to be released sort of properly. So the more obscure stuff like the Space Museum or bits of the Ice Warriors that had been found that year or, or even Inferno, you couldn't get it unless you knew the right people. You know, it was usually a, a four-generation copy from Australia. Mm. But we had, we found a contact that we had a lot of this stuff. And we sat down and we, we binged at length until we were basically falling asleep. Just binge what watching Doctor Who from the previous eras. So we were watching this stuff in that context. Or we did. Um, it was in that context shortly afterwards. It was nineteen ninety or nineteen one that we started watching the older stuff. Um, so looking back on stuff like Inferno, <clears throat> the Sea Devils, or the Demons, or you know, the, the good stuff, um, this more recent uh, Doctor Who was just paled in, in significance. Really, with uh, in the context of, of the, the twenty-five years or whatever it had been at the time, it was you know a pale imitation. As I said to you before, um, that didn't help. You know that kind of you know, glut of the good stuff. Mm. Uh, made the seed look even worse than it would have done otherwise. I think.
0: So the memory cheats was clearly not the case because you were watching stuff fresh.
2: Well, the memory cheats to a degree because don't forget we'd <coughs> grown up with the celebration books and that kind of mm. thing which were say- saying how wonderful this all was. Mm. And now we could see for ourselves, and although it wasn't quite as brilliant as our imaginations had formed it in the previous years, when it finally came onto our screens you know, it was still good enough to be, you know, to knock this stuff into a cocked hat. Mm. Um, so the memory was cheating purely because we hadn't a memory of that. It was all built up in our minds as being the Holy Grail. This, this stuff was going to be,
0: you know. Jane T's publicity machine probably was probably eating his own arse, in a way, wasn't he? Because... It, <laughs> I know that was <laughs> sorry. Come on, let's make magic. <laughs> but it, it, he was he was pushing a propaganda machine for Doctor Who, saying it was a great show with a great history, and then he was making average children's TV, I suppose, in terms of production yeah. methods. Yeah. So yeah, I picked up Ambassadors of Death on VHS in color in the late '90s, and that was hard to find. It looked shit. It looked really terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was watching it, fuzzy, excited, up against the screen, and that was just me. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Um, but I still felt the same about the McCoy stuff because. The McCoy stuff, to me, felt as equally in the past in terms of how young I was when Doctor Who ran out. You know, mm. I was seven when the show finished. And in 1993, when I was a big adult of 11 years old, <laughs> it seemed like an age since Doctor Who had been on the TV. Now I think, my God, it was only three years since yeah. it had been off the air. And yeah. actually, it, it had aged quite badly in that three years when mm. you know we were comparing it to great TV shows like Bugs. <laughs> The Craig <laughs> McLaughlin vehicle.
2: Never watched it. <laughs> I was a student by that time. I was too
0: busy getting drunk in oh, Lancaster. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really pressed on. So, in Battlefield, yes. how many TARDIS is out of five, Charlie?
2: That's going to be. I think that's going to be
0: two. Is it not going to be brought up to the Destroyer? You know, you said the Destroyer was a really good monster. The
2: Destroyer is the second TARDIS. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, the direction for poor, the is a blown. It makes no sense at all. There's a, that scene with is it Mordred the, the son of Jim Marsh? Is that laugh? On it's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know, it's just
0: crap. Yeah, only only Simon McCorkendale can do an exaggerated yeah. <laughs> laugh and get away with it. What do you want? I love you. First, there was fatal attraction. Now, there's obsessive love. And Linda is determined to make the fantasy come true. Last night was wonderful. It was very special. But you don't really honestly believe that it means anything to you.
2: Now, a woman's dream. I'm warning you, don't try to push me away. I'll do anything to keep you. Are you
0: threatening me? Is one man's nightmare. What kind of sick fantasy? going through that head of yours
1: i know it hasn't been good for you and glenn for a long time but it's been very good for us
2: if up to me i wouldn't wait for her to come after me i'd go get her she might do anything she might even try to kill you if you don't fulfill her fantasies
0: yvette mimio simon mccorkendale and general hospital's Kim shriner obsessive love the tale of a terrifying romance at the terrific low price of just 59.98
2: <laughs> I know you're a big fan of McCorkers, but uh, Who isn't? Oh, I'm not
0: <laughs> What is For, that, reason? For that reason? It's you and, and bloody Ollie that doesn't
2: like Simon McCorkers It's the way it is Oh come on darling <laughs> He always says whenever he's doing it it's part of his contract he has to have a line which is Oh come on darling He gets eaten by the way I know he enjoys
0: read it. Yes I know he, he He didn't turn into a shark then and then bite the shark back. That's what we everybody was waiting for.
2: You see I know him from Manimal and animal. Manimal. I know him from uh, Beasts episode baby from Beasts. That is terrifying. it's well, brilliant but he's it. I yeah,
0: he's paying a big boorish bully thug alpha male tit. There's a couple of oh come on darling, why' <laughs> <minding> that? <laughs> oh? <sure. laughs> right okay, so we're moving on. Now, this is the last Doctor Who story to ever be recorded. Mm. They never made Doctor Who after this point. Mm. But it actually comes second in the season. I think it's an absolute gem. It's taken me a while to appreciate it as I've got older. The older I get, it's like a
2: fine wine. Mm. Ghostlight by Mark Platt. Indeed. Yes, I watched it last night. Right. I thought I'd I'd dip into something. Um, This is the one that I remember quite enjoying at the time. um, Which is the reason why I thought I'd better refresh my memory on it. And... There's a lot of good things about it. I did enjoy it, um, and I did think that Sylvester gave a, a decent performance, although he was over enunciating all the time. Um, but it's Alan Waring who was who was a good director. He knows what he's doing. Um, I've had a go at Chris Clough and I'll have a go at people like Ron Jones and Nicholas Mellet until um, the cows come home. But Alan Waring knows what he's doing or did at the time. Um, same with Survival. You know, um, he's there's artistry there there's, there's, there's know how there's schooling in evidence so I think that um, uh, particularly when it was something as uh, studio based as Ghostlight to make that work as he did um, is quite a, an achievement um, and the cast is, is fantastic, you know, Sylvia Sims Ian Hogg mm. who, is, who is great <clears throat> as, as Desire Smith yeah. be careful doctor the cross may come be a serious error. <laughs> yes, he's, he's a bit drunk. A little bit drunk. Yeah. <laughs> he's wonderful, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's really good. He's brilliant. And the great John Hallam. Now, John Hallam, um, I have a problem with his performance because he's a guy who's got one of those voices which is just so resonant, so, mm. so rich, and so wonderfully fruity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's this, this kind of squeak, he performs it in a squeaky voice, which I think is a shame.
0: Was that him trying to do something different though? And just awesome. think, here's a here's a chance for me not to play the same part I Not played to play again. John Hammond. Yeah, like that could be it. But it was a shame. i like mm. I wanted to hear the, the Hammond voice. He has such a build-up, the reveal of that character as well, isn't it? It's like, what is it gonna be? And it's just it's this guy with the lovely hair that walks out in this fancy gown <laughs> going,
1: Hello
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember the time being quite disappointed because I thought it sounds like a ghost story yeah and it should have been something slightly
2: more ethereal mm. it was probably miscast just his voice they should have just used his voice and maybe some special effects but he has a presence I mean I know him from stuff like The Palace and Flash Gordon where he's in Flash Gordon he's good at Flash Gordon he's playing a big robust alpha male with this booming voice yeah. and yet here he's playing quite an effete character
0: <clears throat> yeah so he's a disappointment but generally the whole show I think is a success
2: yeah yeah. Yes, it it, it it is. It's a flawed success, though, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, well what does uh, it make sense? Unless, unless you know the backstory, because right. it's it's well, it's nicely written. I, I accept that, but it's it's written in a way that that is trying to be Beckett. I think uh, it's mm. a question answered by a question, answered by an epithet, answered by a hard stare. End of the end of the scene. <laughs> you know, and no one's any the wiser. Yeah. It sounds great, but what does it actually mean? And it doesn't mean very much unless you know a bit of the backstory. That I think is part the reason for that, I think, is because it was cut back quite a lot in mm. production. They were cutting out scenes whilst it was being made, mm. and that didn't help it. But there are bits there which perhaps should have been included that would explain a bit more on backstory um, and would have made it clearer um, as to who these people were and what they were doing and where they'd come from. As it is, it isn't clear enough. Mm. Um, and I think when you've got a situation where your cast and your director don't know what the hell it's all about mm. I mean what chance have Dick and Middy and Redcar got? you know no <laughs> chance at all mm. they're going to turn off and watch Cory or Strike It Lucky on the other side you know, th- yeah. th- they are gone as an audience mm. and this I think is a problem because it, it does go too far Someone who dipped into that on spec as someone who wasn't a regular viewer who didn't really know what they were watching If they'd come onto that and seen Nimrod walking up and down the corridors, moving from room to room, um, it would have made no sense whatsoever, and would not have grabbed their attention. Uh, But those of us who have the time uh, and the emotional investment in the series anyway, will put the hours in and try and work out what it's all about, but those who are sort of casual viewers would have been lost, completely lost by this.
0: Because the editing process came so late with Ghost like like you said, they were cutting stuff as they were recording it, and then butchering it again in the edit suite you have this weird production where unlike really bad doctor who and i put time flight into that category where they filmed everything they needed to film it was professionally done and then edited and broadcast jobs couldn't it's terrible to watch because it's badly written and it's just boring walking from place to place conversation after conversation and then the story being wrapped up with an exclamation and that being the end the great thing about Ghostlight is even though it suffers from being butchered apart, and then you've got these whole scenes which play out at really quite a slow pace, but Mm. they don't get resolved because that resolution's been cut, it's still interesting, Mm. unlike some bad Doctor Who, which is, in terms of storytelling, complete and makes sense, is dull. So I don't think you really need to understand Ghostlight to be entertained by it, because it looks beautiful. It does. The dialogue is gorgeous. Yes. It's mysterious. It has this quality running through. And because it's parts of much better quality than a completed production of Doctor Who, mm. I think it gets away with it. I think mm. you can sit there for three episodes and think it's fine. And I can't recall who wrote it, but somebody in the Times said it's the best Doctor Who in ten years, at the time, and I wish I had that reference to hand. Mm. But I remember reading that in in Doctor mm. Who magazine, saying, the best Doctor Who ever mm. made Ten years, yeah, and I think in many ways it is because you look at it and it doesn't—not one element of that apart from maybe some performance choices—but in terms of production, it hasn't dated. It looks really quite mm. good, I think. Mm.
2: I, I agree, I agree entirely. Um, the lighting is very nice. Uh, the staging is 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 fantastic, and the fact that they had to install the lift into mm. the studio—you know—went to that expense to do that it shows that there was a lot, lot of care went into the production as well. Mm. Um, so I, I, I agree entirely and it's funny I was watching it last night and it reminded me very much of um, the Harry Kumel film Malpah mm-hmm. um, if you haven't seen that i recommend you do It's I think it's on uh, YouTube which is a lot of mysterious characters wa- walking around this sort of old dusty house um, being uh, enigmatic um, you're trying to work out who they are and what they're doing there with Malpah it turns out that they're all um, uh, Olympian gods who've been captured by Orson Welles' character this, it isn't quite as, as clear, it doesn't, it doesn't resolve quite as as, as obviously or, or as, as um, it's not telegraphed as, as much as Malpour 2 is, but it, in terms of uh, the setting and, and the, the scenario, it's very similar um, and that's a good thing, because I, I love Malpour as a piece of work and, and this I think has a lot of the hallmarks of that and there is a mystery, as you say quite rightly it's a mystery which is quite engaging in trying to work out who these people are. Yeah. And I remember very clearly at the time being very impressed by by the ratkin husks at the end of episode one. Yeah. That being really, really um, intriguing yeah. and quite horrifying at the same time. This sort of, the, the, the Mr Blobby voice. Blobby,
1: Blobby, Blobby!
2: Blobby! <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a down, but the way it's done is quite nice, you know, yeah. racing, wasting blood, yeah, and the, the, the shrieking husk that come out behind the curtain, it was very eye-catching and very, um, you know, you, were, you couldn't wait to see what happened next. It feels very modern as well in terms of the way those
0: monsters are dressed as husks with the bow tie. It's like, how, why is a giant fly dressed in a Victorian dining room? <laughs> Why is he wearing a tux? Now, that is again something I'm not praising the new series, but that is something which you would definitely get in new Doctor Who. Yeah. And I think you do. There's, there's these creatures that wear three piece suits with giant, crazy alien heads that are walking around. Yeah. And that was done in the last season of the, the classic show. The it, Silence. It, the, is that, is yeah. what it's called? The yeah. Silence. Yeah. It feels very stylish and stylistic. Yes. Which you would never have got something like that in the Davison era. You'd have got a tractator in the Davison era, you'd yeah. have got a rubbery monster we are at that point where Doctor Who's really changing into something else at this
2: point yeah you've got that under strip lighting yes under, would have un, done. under Chris Cliff or Ron Jones but here it's, it's handled very nicely it's very yeah. atmospheric Yeah. so I enjoyed that very much um, and sort of the cast is, is just incredible really Frank Winston obviously, same as Ian Hoff. um, Terence Juice it's a great great cast mm. um, very very impressive um, uh, and, and I think there's also I don't know if you get this this Feeling that I got was there's a kind of a melancholy about it as well. Mm. It's as if they know it's the end of the line from the series, and there's a kind of wistful kind of mood, Mm. particularly on sort of the the, wine that the final line wiki or whatever it was. I I think there's you you can just sort of sense that they know that it's the end of the line. I, I
0: wasn't at all surprised to find out a couple of years later that the show was the last one to be recorded it felt like a winding down process, yeah. like a grieving process that yeah. they were going through. Yeah. And there is that, yeah. there is that wake feeling about it. I agree. And when people leave the house and they say, no one will be here after dark, it's like a door's being closed Definitely. on the show. And Absolutely. it's very sad. Yeah. More so than survival, which doesn't have that feeling really until the last two minutes. Yes. The whole of Ghost Light does feel that way. Which is interesting, because it only comes second in the season on broadcast order. Yeah, So it's almost like a... It's like a signpost or a little telegraph saying there's bad feeling here because something bad's to come at yes, the end right. of the show. Yeah. Interesting how it would have been if they'd actually ended the show on Ghost Line.
2: Mm. Um, I think Would it have been more appropriate? I think so. It would have been better. It yeah. does feel it's just quite funereal in its mm. kind of its mood. So it would have been fitting. It mm. would have been a better sort of finale I think. Mm-hmm. It, w- it would have been unlike sort of the Exploding Planets Against Survival it would have been a far a far, um, a far more um, a low-key kind of farewell. Mm. Um, but that's not a bad thing. No, no. So how many is out of five? I'd give that a four as well. I think. Ah, wow, scoring highly there. Yeah, that, I, I did enjoy it. I did cool. enjoy it. it. Didn't make much sense, but I, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. Yes, it was. It was worth worth my time. Excellent. So
0: down to the final two, and we're into. Curse of Fenric, which is probably one of the most ambitious stories of the McCoy year in terms of production and
2: ideas. Definitely. definitely. Tell I, me about that. Yeah, I, <clears throat> as I said to you before, I think this is, is a great piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, i would giving this a five. Right. Because, again, because of, I think, the qualities there. It's one of those um, moments of quality, those sparkling moments of quality that you see in, in the show once in a while come along what, you know, not on a regular basis, but they're they're there. The shop five doctors, um, and Rosani, revelation of Daleks. The, 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 these moments of ah yes, mm. now that's how you do it right. And this is one of those moments for me. This is the show done properly. And for that reason, you know, I, I think it's um, it, it is the strongest story of the season, better than, than Ghostlight for that reason.
0: Often because the stars aligned and not J&T made the right decisions, often you appointed the right writer, the right script, the yeah. right director, the right production Precise. designer and then suddenly you've got Doctor Who that works.
2: Exactly, exactly. And here you've got some nice location work, um, you've got some nice puppets again, some nice prosthetics. Mm, with yeah, the, um, looks good. Um, with the Um You've got Nicholas Parsons. Yeah. Um, so it all—it all seems to, yeah, that the stars were aligned as you say on this occasion, and it, it worked out very nicely. Um, so yes, I'm—I'm I'm a fan of this one as well. And Sylvester, I think, was was finding his his pace. I mean, people have said in the past that it was cancelled on the cusp of becoming great again. Mm. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it was improving. Mm. The, the the back end of season 26 is by far streets ahead of the rest of the stuff he'd done previously it is um, the quality is, is far better have we have we trumped Trial of a Time Lord here yet for you or is Trial of a Time Lord still edging it oh no it's, no it's not no no Trial of a Time Lord as a whole was disappointing right um, but you did say you enjoyed it I didn't no I did enjoy it I did enjoy it I particularly enjoyed Mysterious Planet because because of the hiatus and mm. of the Starburst right. cover which grabbed my attention with the Inquisitor and right. Collins on the front um and it kind of built up expectations and when it came along, um, it was at last, you know, it was like you know, quite a, a relief to see it back. Because um, I just feel like
0: Curse of Fenric, even though it has the same production methods as, as Troll of Time, and all shot on videotapes with a similar budget. Yeah. They're completely different shows at mm. this point. And mm. I, I feel that this, this is a much more superior version of the show that we were getting two years before
2: well, uh, yes, fine, but <laughs> I can say the same thing about Happiness Patrol and, and Revelation of the Daleks. Oh, yeah, but that's... compare of those
0: two. That's working backwards, though, isn't it? I'm talking in terms of progression. As is, is Doctor Who now found its feet and actually discovered what actually works, it's taken J&T this long to weave in between all of these disparate elements, rubbish directors that at least deliver it on time, writers that at least deliver it on time both which are shit yeah. and actually saying actually I found a good writer here who I'm going to use again Ian Briggs who delivered a good script for Dragonfire mm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's debatable but, but moving on <laughs> yeah. you know a fine
0: director yes um, yeah good director a, uh, a very good soundtrack you know provided by yeah. yeah, yeah. a doctor who has been given the support and guidance to actually perform it in the right way yeah
2: but look at this, this, this the, the show itself the history of the show is full of inconsistent mm. you know, peaks and troughs of quality and, and for whatever reason. And we've seen the same thing here again. Would, who would say it wouldn't drop off again at the start of Season 27 had, had they gone that far? Mm. Um, so I don't think that's a, a pointer towards the quality getting any better on a, on a consistent basis. The fact we have three stories here, Ghostlight, like, um, Fenric and Survival, which are, on the whole, pretty damn good, Um suggest that perhaps that they were finding their feet, and they, were, they had found their stride again, but there's, in terms of, of what had come before, there's no guarantee of that. You know, We had had two or three years of upstream bilge, um, but I accept that it was you know, the quality was much better, um, but that may well just be the fact it's sort of serendipitous. In the production, and that's the way JNT was, was relevant at the time.
0: <laughs> maybe, yeah. And maybe he was just working with who he could get and it wasn't a silly case of yeah, he was picking the wrong people, he was picking what he had. Yeah. Uh, I think there's probably some truth to that. Yeah,
2: yeah, possibly.
0: So how many TARDISes? You said five? Five for that one, yes. That's the highest scoring McCoy yeah. so far. Yeah. And we're now down to the final Ever Doctor Who story broadcast. Now, I remember seeing this at the time and watching it just as a Doctor Who story and really enjoying it. Mm. And as I got older and I got the VHS tape, somehow in my mind treating it as a finale. Mm. But it doesn't work as that. There is no grand finale to Doctor Who. Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who doesn't do grand finales because they can't afford to do them. And everyone knows if you watch the Russell T Davies era, grand finale is a shit. It's just somebody pressing a big button and acting like a ponce. And always the same. yeah. So this is not a finale, it's just an end of a chapter, which doesn't get picked up again, isn't it really? Yeah,
2: yeah. Survival. Well, I think I have to say, from the Offski, that survival, I think, is overrated. Right. Okay. Generally, it's it's held in, in high esteem by the fans. Uh, the script by Marilyn Monroe um, is is written by a proper writer. Um, that that much is, is you know is, is trite. Can't uh, argue with that. But I think, as a whole, it's. Um, not quite some of its parts. Um, it's not a bad piece of work. I do enjoy it, um, but I find it's a lesser story than Fenric or, or Ghostlight. Uh, I think Ainley is his presence is not entirely clear and why he's there and what he's doing there. And it's clear that he isn't in the best of health. I don't think he's put on weight since. Mm. Uh, since um, Trial of Time. His eyes see. have gone green. What well, is that? <laughs> That's too much cholesterol, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I don't think he comes across particularly well. Um, and but it's no, I'm, I'm not going to criticise it particularly. I think it's 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 not bad. It's am wearing it again. He's wearing it again. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's it's made by someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and it's a good soundtrack again. Sylvester. When I think of survival, I always think of it, that line: "If we fight like animals, we'll die like animals." <laughs> and that's again—it's—it's it's Sylvester just not acting particularly well. Mm, you know? It's shouty acting. Yes. he's not very good at. That's his his big moment, and he—it's
0: he, he, fudged. There's only one person that shouts worse than McCoy, and that's William Hartnell. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh, you listen, boy! Um, <laughs> if the Daleks are doing something
2: drastic, then we have to do something drastic to stop the Daleks. Now, will you shut up, <laughs> sir? <laughs> Take him out to Kendall. <laughs> Take him out to Kendall. Let <laughs> the Daleks do uh... uh, the... It's the
0: M6. <laughs> <laughs> it when you're going to shout, you need to do it from nowhere. It needs to be like a school teacher. It needs to be volatile and frightening yeah. and loud and with intensity in his short bursts. And McCoy shouts for a long time, and it goes on yeah. too long, and it doesn't have any conviction because he just comes across as too yeah. cozy, fluffy, and safe. Tom Baker, exactly terrifying, precisely. Peter Davison never tried to shout because he knew he didn't have. Really? That. I don't think he ever shouts, and Doctor. He raises his voice and gets
2: gets a bit squeaky. Yeah, yeah.
0: But he never shouts. Colin shouts all the time, mm. and to the point where you don't even notice him shouting anymore.
2: Well, I don't. Don't you think that Colin was trying to be the next Tom Baker? Oh, absolutely. And that's why he fell down because he didn't yeah. have Tom's charisma. He wasn't Tom Baker.
0: Yes. He should have been Colin Baker. Yeah. He should have tried to be his, a version of himself, which actually is a lot more sensitive than the Colin Baker you see on screen.
2: Yeah. I mean, thinking of stuff like Pirate Planet and, you know, and what, mm. the What's It For speeches—it's mm. just spine-tinglingly good. Yeah. Imagine Colin doing that, it would have been embarrassing. Shocking, yeah. What's it for? What's it for? What's worth all this? What are you doing? Exactly. It's just a brilliant moment, but it yeah. wouldn't have been handled better by any other Doctor Who played Doctor Who apart I mean, from, perhaps. Chan. It's,
0: it's conviction when being angry. It's as difficult to do as crying shouting but I think a lot of actors think they can do shouty acting and get away with it. Yeah, um, Troughton could do shouting with conviction. Mm. Half the time he didn't know what he was talking about but he knew he should be angry and so he got himself worked up and you really believe when, when Troughton's furrowing his brow and, and getting upset. And yeah. goes, no, no. <clears throat> you really believe he's feeling well, those emotions.
2: Well I'll go back to Mind Robber 1 which is is. A Tour de Force, it really is a wonderful episode. I mean, the rest of it I can take or leave, but episode one, which was an add-on written at the last minute just to to pad out the episodes, is brilliant because of Trout's performance. It's utterly convincing. He believes in the character and the scenario, which we know full well are some some old um, robot costumes from Out of the Unknown painted white, but the threat, because of the way he performs the scenes... Um, comes out beautifully, and it's just a great piece of work. Mm. So to do it with conviction to, and to convey threat to real threat, which I think is missing in the McCoy era, particularly in season twenty-four, it's all about light entertainment. And it's it's uh, Ken Doddham. There's no real kind of jeopardy there. There's no mm-hmm. real um, belief in the scenario that we're being served mm-hmm. up. But when, when it's done with with proper conviction, Patrick could do it very nicely. Tom Baker course is peerless it's it's so convincing it it really drags you in and you really care about the characters and and, but with with mccoy there's a there's a gap between me and the actor Mm. uh, which is a problem Mm. well you brought up the point before didn't
0: you the the shouting cliffhanger episode 4 inferno yeah it's one of the great moments where the doctor completely loses his rag he's completely desperate he's swinging a hammer at the time, I think he's attacking the equipment. Yes, uh, he's so completely desperate, and um, McCoy is as desperate in this scene, but it doesn't quite work. And I think that is the sh- that is the shortfall for McCoy is his shouty acting. He's not quite there yet. Now, in a few years' time, he may have got there and known how to pitch it, mm. but that's that's when the facade drops for me with McCoy, yeah. and it's particularly bad, I think, actually, in Battlefield is is, is, is the Nadir for that as well. Mm. It, it probably seemed like a good idea when they're rehearsing it, and John and Gary thought it looked amazing. Come on, let's make magic. But when you're watching it back on your on your mum and dad's Colour Ferguson TV, even as a seven year old, you think this is not too good when there's two knights fighting. There's a knight and a soldier, and he goes, We will not fight here. And he literally stops, turns around, and comes back
2: downstage and still carries on shouting. Yeah. And it's like, This is bad theatre. I agree entirely and it's, it's, it's stagey because it's obviously rehearsed and it's being performed it's mm. not a, a convincing performance uh, going back to Ghost Line, there's, a, there's a moment which, I, which made, me, made me smile last night where uh, there's the Doctor and Ace in, in the drawing room <clears throat> and Gwendolyn walks out of the room and she walks out of the room closes the door and she's gone mm. and McCoy says, let her go as if, well, no one's stopping her. <laughs> We're not getting out of our seats to go and fetch her and bring her back. Yeah, you know, it's it's just performed badly. Yeah, I mean, it's missed the cue. It's yeah. missed his mark, and that I think is McCoy's shortcoming. That's that's where he falls down. That it's qu- quite obviously rehearsed and it's being performed, yeah. um, and that, that breaks down the fresh military between the audience and the performer and the actor. If you don't convince, you're dead, and that is his problem.
0: But there are moments of gold, surely, in survival.
2: Oh, no, there are. No, um... Some
0: wonderful moments. Go on, then. <laughs> <laughs> I... Aside from the end scene, I love all the stuff of him just walking around on his own. Yeah. With the tins of cat food. Hail and Pace. And the Hail and Pace scene, I have no problem with. I think it's quite funny. And, and it feels... This is something people talk about a lot, is Doctorish. doctorish? When is it doctorish? It's like... Every doctor is so different. I think that's a, a nonsense thing to say. Yeah, you can say, "Oh, that's a slightly Tom Baker moment now," because we know that's a Tom Baker moment that he invented. Yeah, you know? I think those are actually the typical McCoy bits, which actually he's brought to Doctor Who, which is he can actually play small and fussy mm. in a slightly different way to Patrick Trout He's almost like a dithering old lady in those scenes. Yeah, he plays it. He's the yeah. closest thing to being Beryl Reed as Doctor Who. <laughs> and I Want think. What have uh... <laughs> <laughs> you bonus as mister <laughs> We all love barrel. It's very good. Is it? Yeah. I think I think Greg does a good one. Yeah. He does yeah
2: What's the day <laughs> Do you
0: wanna go for a second take No <laughs> No that was a bit more Alan Bennett, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there was a chip in the sugar. But I, I think what McCoy does very well, and he's because he's such a good mime, is he's very good on his own at using props and things. So when he's chasing that cat, it's actually very watchable, and it's some of the best bits in it. He's yeah. just like, I don't know what's going on here. It's a little nonsense, but it's really engaging. Yeah, and it goes back to what you're saying about not being an actor, but really being a very good performer. Yes, um, those are wonderful moments, and to see that in the very last story, it kind of harks back to the stuff he was, all the platforming he was doing in the first one. Ooh. I think that's Good McCoy Doctor Who acting, and I, I like that. And I, I know it's not everybody's taste, but I think it's what he brought to Doctor Who, and it's still there. If you ever tap into the new show, you see all the, especially with that terrible Doctor, what was his name, Matt Smith? He was constantly doing that. He was constantly fussing over props and adjusting mm. himself, and that was very much a thing that McCoy did, probably out of inexperience, which has now become a, a Doctor Who trait. If you like, yeah,
2: yeah. People talk about um, Professor McCoy. Picking up fruit and, and shaking it by his ear. And that's that, Tom Baker though. Well, it is Tom Baker, exactly. He's yeah. taken that from Tom. Yeah. But he, he made it his own. Yeah. You can't deny that. But yeah. people think, of, but, but when Tom's giving performances like he did in Horror Fan Rock, for example, you know that is all you need. That's enough. Tom being Tom is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But McCoy needs to sort of shore up his performance with, mm-hmm. with bits of business like that. It's much
0: broader, though, Doctor Who, by this point. Isn't it? It's playing it more for last because they don't have all the horror that they can keep shoehorning in to carry your interest. So mm. the kids either have to be entertained by it being funny and interesting or by it being terrifying and unnerving. And yeah. they can't do the latter anymore, so there's more of that. And I think it couldn't be done under Colin, it just didn't work. Colin is not a very good comedy actor. Mm. I've not seen him express any kind of comedy timing particularly well. I think one of Colin's biggest problems is timing in Doctor Who the way the lines are delivered and how he moves. I just, I, I, it, it feels very clumsy to me. Um, what Colin's very good at is bravura mm. and making sure you're looking at him when he's talking. Sylvester's almost the opposite. He's, he's very good at timing because he's being a performer, very good at comedy, very good at yeah. using his body to yeah. convey emotions. He's less good at holding your attention when speaking unless he underplays it. Mm.
2: Yes, I, I, that's right. But when he underplays it, it's, that's when he comes alive.
0: He does. His eyes do all, all the work. Mm. I don't think he realises. I think he actually knew by this season that was the way to do it, by watching his stories back yeah. on TV. I think yeah. that's yeah. the way I want to do it. Yeah. So I think survival is, in many regards, it's probably McCoy ready to hit his stride uh, recording the final season. He's, he's found how his doctor works mm. and what's the best. Um, and the final scene that they recorded for that story they must have had an inkling that things weren't going so
2: well. It's beautifully played. I think. Can you remember? I, I, I'm not sure. Did it come back and do that later? he's uh, getting cold speech at the end. I'm sure that came back later. Was it shot at the end of uh, everything else? I thought it was shot at the end of survival. Didn't no, they? Didn't they shot it? But didn't they ad it after the event? Oh, the yeah. the actual speech. Yes. Um,
0: because they're walking actually.
2: away from the camera, you can not really Yes, that's, that's a voiceover. Yeah. yeah,
0: you're possibly right, actually. It's a beautiful piece, but I think the actual scene when he's with Ace, when he's told you know you'll never forget her, she'll be with you, she always will. I think it's a nice moment. It's Home, the Tardis. Yes, the Tardis. Ooh. Ah, yes, the Tardis. I think it's just a lovely little moment. So, how many Tardises out of uh, out of five for Doctor Who survival by Rona Monroe?
2: Mm, I'd have to give that three and a half, I think. Okay, it's not quite a four. Mm. Um, but it's not bad. It's good Doctor Who. So we've come to the end of The McCoyer and the end of
0: Doctor Who in its entirety. How many TARDISes are of five for the final season? Oh, the
2: final season itself... Um, because of Fenric and because of Ghostlight, I'll, I'll give it three and a half. Is that, is that okay. fair, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I think so. In terms
0: of what you've said, I think it's a good average.
2: Yeah.
0: What do you think, listeners? Do you agree with Buddy Windrush? Do you think he's on tack? Jason, we know you agree with him, so that's fine. (laughs) But do you know what? Next time, just put in a private message. No one wants to see your discussions, least of all me or Greg that has to monitor the stuff. (laughs) So, bloody, do you have any questions that you want to pose for Tom, Greg and myself when the episode comes up?
2: Well, yes. I mean, I I know full well that you're a a big Sylvester McCoy supporter. Um, But I think it's... The question I I think you, you need to ask, ask yourselves if not um, each other, um, is how that fits into the classic series as a whole. It has to be in context. This is important to me, context. The context of what's come before um, and where it was going to go next. I mean, how do you think, uh, did it serve the series well, being uh, where it was, in terms of um, the progression of the series as a whole? Um and whether or not Sylvester was the right casting decision for the role mm-hmm. who else could it have been who should it have been that's more, more the question Is if, if not Sylvester then who
0: that's a very good question Ken Campbell he was up for the running wasn't he yeah. but didn't he make the recommendation he did
2: that's right how about in addition to that um, does the the next season season 27 that would have been with have uh, been written out and had a new character come in who was called she was the safe cracker wasn't she? That's not
0: the one that ended up in the new adventures.
2: Yes. The, 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 we'll go, oh, she, he oh, was going uh, oh. go to Monte Carlo and he'd open up a safe and his new character would be yeah. inside the safe. I forget the name. Yeah. It's
0: quite a good opening for a it's quite a clever it's idea bad, for a pre-title sequence. It's, so a, it's a bit
2: Pink Panther isn't it? You know, yeah. the, um, the, the films um, but where do you think it would have gone thereafter in terms of uh, the new companion who would have be been a, a spunky safecracker um, compared to, um, I guess it was a spunky teenager. <laughs> More the same, probably.
0: Well, there's lots of spunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Can, can
2: I just finish with with, yeah. with one with one comment? Um, I was looking for, I was to do some re- some research, but I didn't get around right to doing it. I made some notes. I made one note for today's podcast, and it was a quote that I found from Andrew Cartmel, who we perhaps ought to mention as well previously because he had big big ideas and big Mm. plans for the progression of I could have almost
0: called it like a master plan
2: indeed the Hartnell master plan hey which would have been Sylvester McCoy the doctor is God or whatever Mm. but he said he wanted to make the series darker sharper and harder I think he failed on all three counts and to, to paraphrase the pirate captain Mr. Fibby Lee failed, failed, failed. Isn't that Colin Baker? <laughs> he shouldn't have been.
1: <laughs> oh
0: dear. That's a good point. That's a good question. And that's one that we left the seed in the final episode of Doctor Who and the Complete Menagerie. Buddy, it's been a pleasure to have you in the cab. Great to be here. Thank you. And you said it couldn't be immobilized. <laughs> he thinks that's a good doctor. <laughs> Come on, let's make magic. If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at DW Menagerie. That's at DW Menagerie. And we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie? (laughs) Almost. are All our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor Production. If the Sylvester McCoy era as a whole was a Freddie Mercury track,
2: which one would it be? (laughs) My love is dangerous, dangerous, my love is dangerous. Makes everybody Everybody go to (laughs) sleep. Everybody go (laughs) to (laughs) sleep. Everybody cry. Love is dangerous.